1: Is UKIP here to stay as Britain's fourth parties? Can Clegg do anything to revive the Lib Dems or is he finished as a political force? How big is Labour's Ed Miliband problem? Tory HQ is convinced that Labour's vote drops whenever he appears on TV. How big is the gap now between London and the rest of England? And which of the three big parties has most reason to panic over the next few days? Well, welcome to the uh, a special edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is uh, Tim Montgomery, one of the Times columnists, and I'm joined by another columnist, Rachel Sylvester, by our digital editor, Phil Webster, who, uh, Phil, I think, have you covered 11 general elections in your time as a political correspondent? That's is right. That right. Yes. Uh, so so that, that, that definitely puts you into sage <laughs> territory, I think. But well, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Sage, you're sad. <laughs> and um, also special guest uh, with us today, Stefan Shakespeare, the founder and chief Executive of not just the most successful polling organisation in Britain, but also the Times pollster, YouGov. Welcome, um, Stefan. And Stefan, I'll kick off with you, if I may. And I should say to um, listeners, we're recording this on Friday lunchtime, um, and some of you will be listening to this and perhaps know more about the results than we do. So we're not going to get into the weeds of the results. We're going to uh, look at the big picture. And Stefan, your answer to that first question. Is UKIP here to stay as
2: Britain's fourth party? Are they going to be a force in British politics for some time now? It's obviously hard to predict how long they will be a force. They will certainly be a force for a while. I mean, they are a protest party. Uh, At the general election, people will know that they can't win seats. They will know that they can't uh, form a government. uh, And therefore, a lot of people will fall back to their normal votes. But will that be enough? They scored 3% last time. Uh, it's almost inconceivable they won't get 6 or 7%, and that makes them a force. And 6 or 7%, Phil Webster, th- that starts making
1: it difficult for the for the Tories, is that right? Because although we've seen UKIP eat into Labour's vote this time, it's still more a party of the right, is that is that yes. correct?
3: Yes, it's a party of the right, and, and uh, proportionately, I'm sure, it would do more damage to the Conservatives than Labour if it maintains a vote around about six or seven or eight. However, I I think we've seen enough to know that it can also damage Labour in the areas where Labour needs to advance in order to get its majority or to become the largest party. Places like Essex? Essex, Thurrock particularly, all those kind of areas, the southern southern seats uh, along the south coast where Labour needs to needs to get some wins down there if they're prevented from getting them they won't form an overall majority
1: and you really don't think that they couldn't win some MPs so for example it seems like UKIP have emerged as the reasonably uh, most obvious opposition to the Lib Dems in Eastleigh and places in Kent like Thanet South they seem to have a good chance of ousting the seat that Laura Sands represented until recently. Stefan said they're not going to win many MPs, I think maybe even said any MPs, but is that, is that right?
3: I'd be surprised if they got more than two, right. <laughs> but I, would, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they got one. I wouldn't be surprised if Farage stood in, in maybe Thanet or even Eastleigh, or, uh, and there, there's bound to be a seat somewhere where they've done particularly well, uh, if Somewhere you ask in me, Great Yarmouth, yep. let's pick a, a place, I wouldn't be at all surprised if UKIP ran both the main parties close in in a place like Yarmouth.
1: And, and Stephen Shakespeare, do you agree with what Phil said, is, is a UKIP vote of say 6 or 7% the electorate. I think that's them, uh, the general election. Does that hurt the
2: Tories more than Labour? Yes. I mean, until you get into the ten percent zone, they're taking more, considerably more, for the Conservatives than others. Then it starts to eat into the other parties as well. And I have to say, I, I absolutely do agree that Farage could certainly win a seat. Yeah.
1: Rachel Sylvester, these elections do seem to have at least seen Labour begin to worry more about UKIP for the for the first time. Actually from my perspective, I've not ever been sure that the Conservatives have had a good answer to the to the UKIP phenomenon. But Ed Miliband has very much tried to attack UKIP as a, a sort of a Thatcherite party, more Thatcherite than Thatcher, you know, wants to privatise, cut taxes, this is not a natural home for Labour voters. That seems to me to be potentially, in the long run, if he repeats it often enough, will be, will help him to stop Labour voters going to UKIP more than Cameron, I think, so far has a strategy to stop Tory voters going to UKIP.
4: I think the issue is that the political parties haven't really understood or dealt with UKIP which, as it is, of what it really is, which it's not really about Europe, immigration, Nigel Farage. It's not really about UKIP. It's about the disenfranchisement and the disillusionment with politics across the board. So, in a way, it's not about trying to define... UKIP as racist, that's right, whatever you want, it's about the other parties trying to realise why they're failing to connect with the voters. It's that idea of these left behind voters who feel that they've lost out from globalisation, they feel the world is changing around them, and they they feel it's out of their control. And I think, in a way, to go back to your original question, the issue isn't whether UKIP's here to stay, but that sense of sort of loss of control, people feeling alienated, people Mm. feeling angry protest is here to stay until the other mainstream parties deal with it and get a grip and actually I don't think any of them have really got an answer to it and maybe that maybe that by definition they can't because they are the establishment but I think they have to try and work out a way of doing politics in a different way you know this idea of
1: are they they capable of that because in a way you've got three political leaders who Really are steeped in politics. They're having, yeah. and this is Nigel Farage's constant attack line, isn't it? That they don't understand what it's like to have a proper job and.
4: Well, it's uh, it, they are the dream identikit leaders in a way for him. These three, Ed Miliband didn't actually go to public school, but he sort of looks as if he did. Um, these three <laughs> sort of very metro-
1: cosmopolitan, cosmopolitan, type metropolitan,
4: yeah. you know, middle class um posh sounding um have done okay out of the recession basically um and they're, they're very different to these voters who are who are going for ukip um in the the revolt on the right book that matthew goodwin the academic did he talked about david cameron as the best recruiting sergeant uh nigel farage could have for ukip in a way this idea that somebody who is so sort of detached metropolitan elitist if you like defines what what these voters hate and that there's i I think there's lesson for the media as well that, that there's a detachment between london where we all live mm. and the rest of the country
1: well we'll, we'll certainly uh, come on to that stefan um the media have launched an onslaught on ukip over the last uh, few weeks not least this newspaper the times and the evidence seems to be i think from YouGov and another polling that farage's ratings have fallen during this process. People, a, a larger number of people like him less. But I wonder if there's almost this sort of mill wall, we don't care element reinforced amongst the UKIP voters that remain. They feel more embattled, but perhaps more committed to UKIP as a result of those attacks. I think it's bound to have that effect.
2: And especially, uh, as uh, Rachel says, since it is a protest vote against all of those establishment voices. Uh, I mean, I think what's extraordinary about the politicians making those attacks is that they, of course... Um, want the same sort of people as UKIP is getting. Uh, it, you know, we, We've heard a lot of uh, talk about how these are uh, less educated and, and, and out in the sticks, but in fact, these are the very people that, that Conservatives need to win, that Cameron needs to win. And if he makes them sound like they're sort of people he's not interested in, mm. then he's got a real problem. Phil, can we go on to our um, second question, which is where
1: the Lib Dems are now? And um, someone in. Um Quite close to, to David Cameron, recently listed to me all of the things that the uh, Liberal Democrat leader has done, you know, over recent months to try and reverse his decline. You know, he did that famous apology video for the tuition fees U-turn. He's done this weekly call-in on LBC. He's regularly attacked the Conservatives. He did, of course, those debates with Nigel Farage. But you know, his ratings and his party's ratings remain in the in the cellar. Lots of parties have perhaps things to worry about in this election, but it does seem particularly bleak for the, the Lib Dems. Is that, is that right? I suppose of the, of the three, uh, he's, he's got the most to worry about.
3: I think we're going to see Cameron over the next uh, week or so again trying to shore up Clegg because uh, I think one of the, one of the questions that remains after this weekend is, is quite how long the coalition will go on in its current form. Of course, the government will run till next uh, May, but will it be a hard and fast coalition running up to that point? I think Clegg will come under a lot of pressure from within, and at the moment he's he's in a much less strong position to resist that pressure to weaken the coalition link, maybe to not quite to go to this confidence and supply uh, state of uh, state of uh, existence, but certainly to to to. to to highlight the differences with the Conservatives. At the moment, he's not got much to give his party from four years of coalition other than that he's kept a Tory government uh, in uh,
1: power. You, you mentioned there might be sort of pressure rumbles from inside his own party because one of the most remarkable stories really of this coalition is how united the Lib Dems have really been. Do, do you think the these, these results might test that unity so. and calm?
3: I think so. I think there, there comes a point when people will feel it is time to break cover mm. and there are obviously people, I noticed overnight Vince Cable was less than obliging about the Lib Dem campaign and the way it had... Um, focused on the good things about Europe. Uh, there are others out there like uh, Tim Farron, uh, other names, who may be thinking that this is the moment for me to start raising the question do we go into a, a coalition with the Conservatives again mm-hmm. if they are the largest party next time round. And uh, the. the you know, there, there are people who have definitely sat on their hands for a long time, and I wonder how. I would be amazed if they did, if we got through the party conference season without somebody. They need to move more quickly flag.
1: than that, don't they? The, if you start thinking about changing the leader at party conferences, that's a I'm bit closer to I'm not saying necessarily
3: they'll change the leader, but they may get from Clegg some kind of assurance that he won't go on
1: beyond the uh, beyond 2015. Rachel Sylvester, is um, Phil right about David Cameron wanting to shore up Nick Clegg? Cause in a way what the Tories need is they need the Lib Dems to start to be winning some of those left wing former supporters of theirs back from Labour and Nick Clegg seems incapable of doing that in a way at this stage in the coalition do the Tories secretly want, certainly some of them are saying this to, to me do actually they think that actually a Cable or a Farron or someone might just be the kind of um, leader the Lib Dems need in order to to, you know, to reduce that Labour vote
4: you can't underestimate the chemistry between Cameron and Clegg, and how that matters actually. And the priority really for Cameron is to keep the government going, keep the coalition going, and look like a competent administration. I think if you ended up having a sort of whole leadership change, it would just it would feel to the country like chaos and Scotland. Could, you, could you not have
1: Nick Clegg potentially resigning as Lib Dem leader, but carrying on as Deputy Prime Minister, so that he you know he continues as the person that holds the coalition together, but the Lib Dems have this different face for those debates next time
4: and starts putting together I just think a it would look like manifesto. internal squabbling when the country's only just coming out of recession and the voters would be rather un- unforgiving about that. I mean, there may be people who are thinking like that. I'm sure there are. But I think the really big thing for the Lib Dems is that they can no longer be the protest party, they've lost that. And that's what their sort of unique selling point was at the last election. So they've got to now be the the grown up centrist Mm. party, if you like. And the the question is, do they have the maturity to do that?
1: Stephen Shakespeare?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, And if the Liberal Democrats want to get something good out of this, it's the fact that uh, they've actually done better than their share of vote. Would indicate, and this is I think what's almost bound to happen in the next election, is that it will keep hold of more seats, far more seats, I think, than, than we currently expect.
0: Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig
3: and the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: And they should take that long view. Lynn Featherstone the other day said, or yesterday, I think. The Lib Dem minister. The yeah. minister said, uh, in becoming part of the government, we've lost our heart. If that's the, the line they want to go down, they are probably, I think, uh, and I agree with Rachel here, going to make things harder for themselves. Because the one asset they have is that they look prime ministerial. Clegg does look quite prime ministerial. It looks as if he should be in a cabinet, uh, that there's some gain from having had him there, even if he broke some promises and all that. And at a general election, that's what they're looking for.
1: Okay. Well, let's then um, move on to 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 the Labour uh, Party and. Um Bring this one to you first, please, um, Rachel Sylvester. Ed Miliband hasn't had a good campaign, has he? Friday's front page of The Times um, you know, reported an unnamed senior Labour figure talking about his weirdness. And, you know, and I spoke to a conference the other day of um, professionals in a, a sector that you'd expect to lean slightly left, and, and just the mention of his name got a bit of a titter. You know, have I got news for you? And he's becoming almost this object of, of ridicule. Is there, are we, am I overstating the Ed Miliband problem, or is he a real becoming a a real drag on the Labour vote? And are people in the Labour Party beginning to worry seriously about him?
4: I think there's, I've picked up a sort of real shift in the mood in the last two or three weeks. Actually, I think there's this feeling that you know. That I think I think it's right. Stefan will, will tell me if I'm wrong. But no party is no opposition party that's lost. The European elections at this stage has, has then gone on to win the general election. And Labour should be doing a lot better now in these local elections if they're wanting to form a government in 2015. And there's, there seems to be a real anxiety. I mean, we're not talking about leadership plots or anything. But in a way, Ed Miliband has the most to lose from these elections. He's the one who should be now the opposition party, the leader in waiting, the prime minister in waiting, if you like, and it's just not happening. And a lot of increasing numbers of Labour people across the spectrum, actually, interestingly, you get the sort of uber Blairite saying he's just attacking business, and that's all appalling, you know, class war, but then also the sort of blue Labour wing of the party who were rather supportive of him I spoke to one of them last week who was just saying you know there there just isn't the the vision the leadership it's a sort of um you know there is there's a sort of frustration growing mm. with Ed Miliband and with with this sense of it's a constant drift to the left it's this sort of 1970s retro feel is what one MP described it to it, me to it, everything he's doing it's all sort of back to policies. yeah because in
1: your um in your column in last Tuesday's paper and I should say for all time subscribers uh, listening to this podcast if you go to the times.co uk slash comment central. I'll link to uh, Rachel's article and other articles that we've been discussing. But you sort of suggested that the individual left wing policies may be popular, but when you all add up, add them up, they look too left wing. It, it, it produces a unhelpful brand for him, and that somehow he needs to make a raid into the right territory. Mm. He needs to do something surprising. So is that right? You're not talking about them changing his uh, changing Labour leader, but they're wanting him to do something different from the strategy. It's surprising. Currently.
4: It's something counterintuitive. So I was To a Tory MP, actually, who was saying, reminded him of Michael Howard in 2005. You can have one sort of sip of whiskey, it's great, you feel rather jolly. Two or three, you're still fine. But four, five, or six, you start either falling over or throwing up. And it's this feeling that it's all in one direction. You end up too too many left wing policies in Ed Miliband's case. It gives an overwhelming impression of somebody who's slightly going back. To the seventies, if you like, rather than forward.
1: So, Stephen Chase, but what 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 do the people tell you at you in terms of Ed Miliband's problem? Is it that they think he's too left-wing? Is it because of the attachment to the past problems of the Labour government, the economic mess? Or is there something? You know, I've had this debate with Fraser Nelson, you know, who I think coined the expression "Red Ed." For me, it's always just been "Odd Ed," the sense that he is this slightly weird, unusual character.
2: Yes, it is. It is the oddest in the way that. Um, we would express that in polling is he doesn't look prime ministerial, mm-hmm. uh, and there's no question he has been uh, totally uh, put aside as a prime ministerial uh, uh, figure by the people. And there's, there's, those voting numbers are so, so on that on that score so low they they're not going to come back. Having said that, I mean there are three we think three drivers of election success. One is. Uh, a a candidate who looks prime ministerial, they haven't got that, Labour. Uh, The second is competence on the economy, Conservatives are ahead on that. But the third is values, shares my values. And on that, Labour and, in fact, Miliband remain strong. So uh, all of this, uh, uh, sort of, if you're looking back to the past bit, is the one bit that maybe does give him something, some appeal to to voters.
1: One of the results that uh, most interested me of the ones that that we've got so far when we're recording, Phil, was the Hammersmith and... Fulham result where the Tories lost control, I think unexpectedly. They didn't do so well in London, although they lost a few um, key boroughs. Probably London results are the best ones so far for, for Ed Miliband. And Hammersmith and Fulham, talking to people in the constituency, you know, it was the worry about a closure of a local hospital. And um, Paul War from Politics Home said, I wonder if the NHS is still could be a big cut through issue for Labour. Do you think they've perhaps need to turn the election into putting NHS more as one of their central campaigning themes. I think
3: uh, the the leadership generally has decided that if it's going to win, it's it's almost going to win despite Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband will stay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Labour has traditionally never been good at getting rid of unpopular leaders. They went into the election with foot knowing that he was going to lose. The last time they
1: forced out a leader was 1935. George when he was a passive, he wanted to disband the army at a time when Hitler was on the rise. So they don't really get rid of leaders. Well, they they. get
3: rid of successful leaders. You could argue (laughs) they got rid of only blur. Um, time,
1: that was more about when
3: he went rather yeah, than getting rid of him. Full but time. He, he he's the one that's been sort of deposed in, 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 in my time mm-hmm. so yes get back to core issues. They have allowed, uh, Miliband has allowed the impression to get around among floating voters that there's a, a list of slightly mad policies that he wants to come in and implement and uh, clearly the way back or the way to move on from here for Labour is maybe to return to its core issues where it knows it can score. By all means, come up with the populist policies that Ed Miliband has come along with. But um, there is a view out there that he's he's going to renationalize the commanding heights of the economy, which of course he isn't. But it's been allowed to spread because of the press he's got because of the way he's he has behaved the perception he's he's given but they they are stuck with Ed Miliband he will be there this time uh, next year and uh, if they're going to win they'll, they'll win with him
1: and so your recipe is sort of a little combination of what Rachel suggests which is maybe this raid into Tory territory something that surprises but also make sure you've got your Traditional labour fundamentals like the yeah. NHS the
3: thing right. he must not do and uh, neither must any of the others in my view is to obsess about UKIP for the next year yeah. because obsessing about UKIP has helped UKIP mm-hmm. they haven't had to advertise they've been talked about by all the other parties <laughs> the press have c- focused on them in a way they haven't focused on anybody else they've got to get their own house in order
1: there's almost Um, been no other discussion other than nigel farage and whether the party is racist as far as i can tell for about three or four weeks no other issue seems to have dominated rachel i mentioned uh, london there to to phil it does seem to be voting differently from the rest of the the country some of the sort of early numbers we know UKIP hitting about 25 percent in lots of parts of england and only seven or eight percent in in london and one um uh, UKIP uh, councillor who explaining her loss in London said well they're all trouble is it's such an educated uh, culturally diverse electorate which wasn't a great advert I don't think necessarily <laughs> for, for UKIP but w- why well, is it... London so different? Well, why, she's why can't right you...
4: in a way the, yeah. the, the the core UKIP demographic is is whiter, more working class, more male, uh, poorer and and London has proportionately fewer of those people, proportionately more wealthier, better educated, more university educated people. Um, It's a more metropolitan, more liberal. There's some interesting polling, you know, the more people live amongst other immigrants, the more pro-immigration they are. It's this fear of change in the theory. Fear of the unknown is what people... The theoretical fear of change is greater than the real ...practice or experience of change. Uh,
2: We have to distinguish between inner inner London and outer London. The outer London regions uh, are much more like the rest of the country. Uh, We've seen some UKIP successes there, in fact. And so, you know, we always say London. The, yes. the inner London bit is, is, is the completely different part. Outer London is much more like the rest of the country. It's so the donut that um,
1: Linton Crosby yeah. used to talk about when mm-hmm. he was uh, running uh, Boris's campaign. And well, that's I, why I'll
4: Boris was such an extraordinary Tory to win in London. Well,
1: that's what um, I, want. I just wanted to ask a bit about Boris, because the Tory failure in London, in a way, underlines his success in being elected twice. But does it also raise questions about his coattails? Because he doesn't seem to really have any coattails. He doesn't seem to be helping Tory counts. Survive? Does no,
4: it's about Boris, Boris it's all about isn't Boris, it? it's not, yeah. He's not a conservative to Londoners, I don't think. He's Boris.
2: So he's not really helping his slightly, slightly unfair to expect coattails in a European protest vote <laughs> <laughs> from a <the> London mayor. <laughs>
1: uh, perhaps. Uh, well, let, let's, let's go to our final um, question, and um, it's sort of an open one for you three to each sort of give your general view of of where we are at this uh, before we've had all the results in. And that's the question, which of the three big parties has most reason to panic over the next few days? And I'm going to put you in the hot spot first, uh, Phil. Well, neither Labour nor Conservatives look any closer
3: this, uh, this weekend to forming an overall majority. So I'm going to get out of it and say that Cameron and Miliband both have reason to panic really. It's very hard to see where a, an outright majority is coming from and uh, uh, the initial indications about the weekend's results seem to point anyway to another to another hung parliament. So a hung parliament for Cameron is, is, is no good at all. He may well have privately welcomed the coalition last time round as a way of keeping his right wing in order but there's absolutely no way that uh, he'll want to be in that that position again. With Ed Miliband, he's got one shot at at becoming Labour Prime Minister. If he if he doesn't if he doesn't get in in 2015, he won't get in at all. He'll have to go very quickly. So they both have good reason to panic. In in Nick Clegg's case, my feeling is that probably his time as Liberal Democratic leader is limited. In any case, but there's nothing in these results to uh, for him to have any chair about yeah.
1: uh, Stephen Shakespeare what's what's your answer which who should be panicking most if anyone
2: well I think David Cameron of course w- will find uh, another term of coalition uh, uncomfortable but at least he'll be prime minister uh, that's what I would expect uh, and therefore uh, probably has the least reason to panic the Lib Dems will do slightly better than we expect I believe and uh, uh, the really important thing there is they know they're in trouble uh, and uh, there's nothing new there for them. What is new is Labour's disappointment. They haven't yet faced up to w- what their problems are. They haven't even begun to take seriously the m- the opportunity that they're missing uh, to get back into power. So they have the best reason, I think, to be panicking right now. Okay, Rachel Sylvester.
4: I agree. Actually, I think you know, it, panic may be too strong a word, but the people who have most to worry is Ed Miliband. He should be winning at this stage. You know, he shouldn't be in this situation. He, is, he isn't he is the Prime Minister in waiting.
1: And, and this is before the economic recovery. The economic recovery has another year to run <laughs> and <laughs> Labour are only just mm-hmm. sort of competitive, you know, with UKIP. And so... I think I'd have to agree with that. But um, thank you all very much, Stefan, Phil, Rachel. Thanks to Dave McGuire, producer of this podcast. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back on um, Tuesday when I'll be joined by, among others, Hugo Rifkind and Jenny Russell. We will have all of the results uh, then and we'll have another more detailed uh, reflection on the results. Have a great bank holiday weekend.